to event planning in 12 easy steps. I've been organizing events for over 20 years now and I love what I do. I have a real passion for organizing, but I appreciate that some may find it a bit more stressful and maybe not enjoy it, but they are required to do it. And so I've put together this course in 12 easy steps for you and we are going to look at the variety of different types of events so that it may fit with what it is that you have to plan. The process for planning events is generally the same. The components of each event, of course, will be different, but the process overall is the same and that's why I put these steps together for you. We are going to look at a variety of different things throughout the course. Um, I'm excited to get started with it, so let's make a start. So here you'll see a variety of different types of events from a conference, a seminar, presentation, to maybe a product launch or a book launch or particular merchandise or candles or something you may be trying to promote. We've got your Christmas parties in there. And that may be Christmas party at home. It may be an office Christmas party. The banquets on a larger scale um, and your weddings, of course, that can be very, very intricate with a lot of detail and potentially very stressful bride. And then you've got your quiz night, which could be hold, held in the local pub. It could be in a, in a school um, and your reception, your your standing, uh, you know, drinks and nibbles, that type, type of thing. That kind of standing event that, um, you know, you may have it as a very formal reception or it may be something more informal. There are so many different types of events. I mean, if you're organizing, for example, uh, a youth camp or, you know, a variety of different things that are all on different levels from each other. Of course, a wedding is going to be very different to a youth camp. A Christmas party is going to be very different to a conference. But these 12 steps will work for all of these events. And of course, if you need to eliminate any step, then by all means do so. But I believe that all of the steps will be important for you to be able to organize a successful event. Now, the first thing to consider is your budget. I've put this one first because what can often happen is we have an idea of the event that we want to have, but we're not realistic about the budget that we have. And so that's why I've put this one first and foremost. If you're organizing an event for somebody else, then the first thing you need to find out is what sort of budget they have. And if they say they have, you know, £3,000, you'll often find that the budget will go beyond that because of the major expenses that you have. And so it's best to pull right back on the major expenses and then the smaller bits and pieces that you will need to purchase um, will top up that amount. But do consider your budget first and foremost. And what what is a good idea is to not begin to think about the higher end and then feel disappointed that you can only have middle of the range or lower end type of event or type of venue. And we will look at that a bit more as we go on through the course. Once you have your budget in mind, begin to visualize the event. Some of us can do that easier than others. Some of us have that type of mind where we can begin to picture what this event will look like. For others, it can be quite helpful to have a look at imagery or, or venues or actually go and visit a venue and get a feel of what the venue is like 
what it looks like and what's possible there. But when I say visualize, what I mean is having your mind's eye what this event will look like and what will be needed to make the event look that way. There is an element of realism that needs to take place here. And again, we will go a bit deeper into that as we continue on in the course. But if you can't picture the event in your mind, then use the tools that are out there, especially the internet to help you. It might be that you have somebody around you, a friend or a family member who's quite good at visualizing those things. It may be that you have to go and um, look at even movies, anything like that. So you get an idea. And these are particularly good um, movies and things like that can be particularly good if you're having to organize an event that's far away from where you are. So, for example, a friend asks you to organize her her wedding overseas. The chances that you'll be able to get on a plane and go and have a look at the venue are maybe quite remote. And so you will need the visual aids of imagery, of websites, of, um, you know, vlogs or things that people have done before. And even, as I said, movies to see what the, it looks like. Then begin to make some calls, you know, ask questions. How much does it cost to have a beach wedding? What's included in a package? Do you need all the elements of that package or are you able to do it on a smaller budget yourself by hiring uh, someone who can bring in chairs, for example? But there is so much to consider depending on what it is that you are doing, because there are certain factors that will need to be considered. You cannot obviously hire some chairs and just put them on the sand <laughs> for a wedding. They're going to sink. And so there are certain things that the venue will organize for you that you may not have considered. And in those cases, it's not a good idea to eliminate the provision from the venue itself or from the company that does this all the time. It's better to either learn from them or go with them because they know what they're doing. Now, step two, we're moving on to the vital components. Now, when I list the vital components, if you imagine baking a cake or making a recipe, there are certain things that cannot be left out. So if you bake a cake without sugar or some kind of sweetening ingredient, it's not going to be a good cake. Um, and so I think you get the idea of what I mean. You need to have your vital components to enable any type of event to go forward. So, for example, we're talking about your venue. We're talking about um, a speaker. If you're having some kind of seminar or conference, um, you will need to have, you know, microphones and technology to be able to make a seminar and conference a success unless you're doing a kind of very small on the ground, interactive, low number teaching. Then you may be able to just use your voice and some tables and chairs and a few guests and you'll be fine. But again, that's what I mean when I say to picture, visualize your event. What is it that you're trying to achieve? And based on that, what do you need? If it's a wedding, you will need a church or a venue where they can hold. Uh, there has to be a license for you to be able to get married in a certain building. So that will need to be in place. So you will need to have, you know, catering and tables and chairs you will need but the, the the bit that i'm getting at here is the the bigger elements the vital components you can bake a cake without sultanas or you can bake a cake without having icing on it you might just want the sponge cake but there's certain things you can't do without and those are the bits i'm asking you to think about now 
So depending on what your event is, if you're organizing a youth camp, you will need to have accommodation, you will need to have activity, you will need to have food, you know. Um, of course, your guests are going to be added to all of that. But what think about what do you need to have in place in the first instant, instant to make this event happen according to what the event is? That's what you need to think about for this one. When you consider your time scales, you'll see here in this illustration that I've put the arrow facing one way and then the list of items that need to happen going the opposite way. And that's because with a time scale, you need to work in reverse. So if you have the date of your event, you work backwards from there. So the date of your event is your wedding day. You need to confirm with the caterers a week, three days, one day before the event, how many numbers there are eating and how many are vegetarian, vegan, special dietary requirements, etc. So you would put that into your time scale three days before. Now, a word of warning here. If your caterers need that information three days before the day of the event, I would give your guests seven days, a good week as a deadline to let you know, because I guarantee you, you will have to chase people for that information. And that's going to take some time. And depending on whether this is your full time job or whether it's something you do um, on a full time scale, will determine how much time you have to run around after people for information. And so I would always give myself a minimum of two weeks extension time when it comes to my time scales, possibly more depending on what the event is. But bear in mind that this is your event, your baby. You need to make it happen. You need it to be a success. The guests that you're asking information from don't really consider that. They don't consider how important this is to you. And so they will be a little bit negligent. They will be pretty slow at coming back to you on occasion. Not everyone, but there will be those few that you'll need to chase. And so for each deadline that you have to meet in the run up to your event, put it into a timeline. Of course, it doesn't need to look like this. You'll see timelines on, you know, just on a sheet of paper typed out and it will say something like, six months before and it will list all the things that need to be done six months before and then three months before one month two weeks one week three days the day before and it can work like that whatever works best for you um, of course we have so much technology now and apps and all sorts of things that will help us with these timescales and these countdowns, you know, especially with a wedding apps will often give you a countdown to the day and it will tell you what you should have made happen by any given timescale in the run up to your day. Um, weddings are very popular for that, but a lot of other events don't necessarily do that, but you can create your own. And when you're doing your timescale, bear in mind your character. Are you somebody who is on the penny, who's you know, on top of it all, all the time, you consume this thing, you eat and sleep and drink it. Everything around this is 
taking up your time or are you somebody who will put it to one side and maybe forget a little bit for a couple of days and oh dear panic stations you've forgotten that thing that's why it's important for somebody like you the second person there to have time scales and have reminders use your phone your laptop all the technology you can to remind you of what needs to get done now step four we're looking at your team you may think well i don't have a team i'm doing this on my own i'm organizing this on your own but you will find that there are people around you that are helping you to make this happen even if it doesn't feel like it so you will be at the center if you imagine you're at the center of all of this and then you may have your core team there may be people immediately helping you or assisting you or advising you and then you will have the wider team and these could be maybe your suppliers you know your caterers or your dj or you know the various different people you know person that may be running a bar at your wedding um or at your your event there'll be very various people florists and you know those that have a part to play but they're not um a part of the decision making they're your wider team but they all do need to fall in line in a sense because they've got deadlines to meet and you've got a timeline to make happen and so consider who you have now I strongly advise that you put the right people in the right places. Um, of course, you don't want the caterer doing the flowers and the florist doing the catering. That's not what I mean. With your core team, I suggest that you have those that are strong in a particular category playing a particular role. If you put the wrong people in the wrong places, they may feel very uncomfortable. They may feel inefficient. They may feel they don't know what they're doing. They may not feel able to tell you that they don't know. And that could work out not so well for you. And so it's best to have people in their strengths. Now, there will be those people who are not so good at certain things. And that's OK, because we can't all be good at everything. That's absolutely fine. But there may be other members of the team that can take up that task. It's really for you who is at the center of all of this to decipher who you think would be best in which particular role. And it may be that you don't give them the 100 percent responsibility for a particular task. It may be that you ask them to do some research in a particular area and report back to you. But if you do have a team, what you don't want to do is end up doing everything yourself because that's what the team is there for. I'm thinking in particular of, for example, um, planning a wedding where you have bridesmaids and groomsmen and parents involved. Now, you can't handpick the skill sets of those people because they're your family, your friends, um, and they're part of your wedding party for a reason. Because you love them and because you want them beside you on your special day. But they will have skill sets they will have strengths somebody who is panicky and tends to flap about things is probably not the person you want by your side as you're preparing on your day to get married you love them um and i and i will i'm happy to share with you that on my wedding day i um, had myself and my sister alone in the room where i got ready the makeup artist was allowed in the room and later on the photographer was allowed into the room nobody else was and I made that quite clear because I looked at the characters of my bridesmaids and they're wonderful. I love all of them. 
but they um, they were very excited. <laughs> of course, they were excited for me. They were excited to be a big part of the day, and I wanted them to enjoy and have fun. And so I, they had their own room where they were able to have fun and giggle and laugh and get on with everything. Where what I needed to, was to feel that everything had been done, everything was in order, that I felt quite serene. Um, I was about to get married to somebody for the rest of my life. I needed my head to be in the right space. I needed to make sure that everything had been organized because I'd organized the event myself. And whilst I wasn't worried, um, I just wanted my head to be in the right space. And then when I was fully ready, I then emerged from the room and then everybody made a fuss and it was wonderful. And, and then the fun began and it was wonderful. Um, and that's just, I'm just sharing that little snippet with you because sometimes that's what we need to do to get away, to get our head straight, to make sure that our events are planned the way that we want to without the distraction of others. But within your team, do pick out the strengths. If you have somebody, for example, in a position uh, coming away from weddings now, but it may be a seminar or a conference or, or something else, you know, don't put somebody who is very shy and uncomfortable with people um, at the door to greet people or maybe on registration. Somebody, you want someone who's a problem solver to be on registration because that's the focal point for any guest is the registration desk because they are the problem solvers. That's how they're seen. If there's an issue, if something is needed, if something's not working, that's where they go. So you need somebody who can think on their feet, who even if they don't have the answer, doesn't fall apart, who will be able to say, oh, thank you for letting me know. Bear with me. Let me just try and solve that problem for you. Within your team, as I said, there will be strengths and weaknesses. And you may have heard the phrase, your team is only as strong as your weakest link. When I do this course live, I do an exercise whereby I line up a, a group of people, maybe five or six people, and we do a task where we have some colored balls and we pass them along to a beat. And I say to a beat because you can't slow down and you can't speed up. It has to go at a certain beat. So every pass of every ball is done at a certain beat. And it's all going along lovely and smooth and wonderful. But the person at the end of the line then has to bring, um, th there's a person who isn't part of the row, there's a separate person at the end of the line who has to bring the filled bucket of coloured balls back to the other end of the line, ready for the line of people to complete the process again. But there mustn't be a break in that line. And then what I tend to do is I remove one or two people from the line. And you can imagine what begins to happen. Those balls are being dropped now. And I think you can see where I'm going with this. When the balls start dropping and they start going all over the floor and bouncing around and rolling all over the place and you begin to see a picture of chaos. This is what happens when somebody on your team drops the ball. This is what happens when you have a weak link in your team. But a weak link, I'm not identifying the weak link as an individual. I'm identifying the weak link as a skill set or a task. And when somebody is the weak link or some, somebody drops the ball, it's because maybe they weren't capable and we've assigned them to a task that they weren't capable of. And they didn't feel comfortable to be able to say to us, 
I'm not sure about this or I need a bit of help with this or, you know, I, I just don't want to do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not comfortable. And so to be able to build a strong team around you when you're organizing events, as I said before, discover what the strong skill sets are in your team and assign them accordingly. Now you may find that within your team, not every skill is assigned or has a person who can fulfill that task. And that may be where you need to pick up the slack. It may be a skill that you need to learn. It may be another person you need to bring on board if it's an essential role. But I wouldn't risk your event, depending on the level of event that you're organizing, I wouldn't risk having an event with an essential part of your team missing. I'll give you an example just to make it a bit clearer. If you have a team of, say, five people and none of you are particularly strong in the area of technology, you may find that if the venue doesn't have its own internal IT person, that you may struggle because you may know how to turn on your laptop and connect it uh, with a HDMI cable to a projector screen and therefore everything's running smoothly. But if something were to go wrong or the screen were to go blank, would you know what to do? And if you don't know, none of your team knows and there isn't an in-house person, what then happens? You have no presentation for your conference or for your seminar. And so in that case, I would suggest that you either learn what you need to learn or hire somebody or request somebody from the venue that can help you in that area. Also within your team, the communication needs to be very, very clear. Now, the best way, one of the best ways I have found is using some kind of technology um, I'm a great fan of WhatsApp forums. Um, I'm not a great fan of having a number of them running it all at one time and, you know, driving you a bit crazy. But what I do like is being able to set up the forum in the run up to the event and then we can leave and delete it afterwards. But everybody knows what's going on because different people on your team will have different levels of availability throughout their day. There may be those who work full time. There may be those who have a lot of availability and are constantly responding straight away when you need them to. But there will be those who will be able to pick up messages later on in the daytime or later in the evening or at the weekend again, according to whatever your event is. Now, I would suggest that you keep the communication open and available to everyone. And so everybody, even if it doesn't directly affect them, they may be able to answer questions so that not everybody is coming back to you with everything. Um, I would also advise that you have a running schedule that you produce for your event. A running schedule should have all of the information about the event on that document, piece of paper, electronic, you know, PowerPoint document, whatever it may be. Um, you would need to have the obvious things like the dates, times, address, full address of the venue, contact numbers for the venue, who is involved in doing what, the list of who the caterer is, who the florist is, who the DJ is, who the IT guys, whatever it may be. Everything needs to go on that document because if for any reason you're unable to continue with the planning of that event, it shouldn't fall apart. A good event planner or organiser can run an event independent of them. 
And what I mean is if you are taken out of the equation through illness, accident, can't make it, something happens in your family, need to be away, you get called away to do something else, you can hand that document or send that document to an alternative person on your team, an alternative member of the family, whoever it may be, and they should be able to run with it. I mean, I don't know if they'll be able to do it as well as you, but they should be able to pull off the event because of the excellent communication that you've passed over to them. So keep your schedule as a working document, update it regularly with the latest information so that you don't frustrate your suppliers and other people involved by them having to repeat what they've already told you. Um, make sure that it is kept up to date. But do, as I said, do communicate with all of your team. Even if there isn't much to say, just drop everybody a message saying, guys, everything's running smoothly. Uh, we have this booked. We have that booked. Uh, certain things are in place. We still need to finalize A, B, C and D. But all is well right now. And then everybody can be reassured. But it really is up to you to drive that and make sure that everybody's communicating with everybody else and nobody is left out of the loop. Let's move on to step five now. Essential versus desirable. I think the image gives you an idea of what I'm referring to here. But what we can often do is we think about what we would absolutely love to have at our events, but our budget doesn't warrant that. It may be that you can have one or two of them. Like in the picture, you may be able to have this beautiful white and gold throne for a bride and groom but not for the whole of the top table. So there are compromises to be had. But be realistic about what you can have, because when you set your heart on that one thing, and if you are determined to have that thing, a large part of your budget can be spent on that one item, which that money could have gone much further for more smaller items that could have been spread wider throughout the event. And also consider it may be something that pulls at your heartstrings, but may not have the same effect for your guests. And so it could well be money that's not well spent. I want you to think about your events. At the beginning of the course, we looked at visualizing your events, but this is a bit different. Now that you've probably got a few things in place, a few ideas, you may have booked your venue, you may have a good idea of how the event will run by now. Now I would like you to do a virtual walkthrough in your mind of what needs to happen for your event to be a success. Now, one of the ways I do this is I imagine myself as a guest at that event. And so I think now it's based in central London or New York or somewhere where parking is not very accessible. Consider those things, because if you're asking people to travel into central London for a black tie dinner and banquet, you're then asking people to travel on public transport in their black tie or their cocktail dress, and they may not be very comfortable with that. I don't think I would be. And so do consider that when you that when you decide on what type of event it's going to be, also consider where it needs to be. I personally 
wouldn't do a black tie uh, cocktail dinner event in the middle of a busy city where there isn't really access for parking unless it's a type of event where your guests don't mind because there are car parks in central London they tend to be very expensive and so if your guests can afford that and they don't mind and it's not a problem and as long as you give them the information of where the car parks are it may work out well for you that may be absolutely fine but um, and I would recommend having something like that somewhere where there is more access it's easier to access by car um, another thing to consider is if your event is in winter, for example, people will be traveling into your event and they will be wearing, you know, heavy winter coats, scarves. People may be traveling with, with luggage if they're coming straight from overseas to your event. If it's a, you know, a large conference, for example, um, they may travel in from other cities. And so do consider where will they put those coats when they arrive? Um, consider your, your bathrooms. Do you, are there nice bathrooms at the, at the venue? Is there anything you could do to make them more pleasant to use? For example, the first thing is to ensure that they are well stocked. There's nothing worse than running out of toilet tissue and then you probably don't know where the spare toilet tissue is stocked and therefore you need to find a member of staff to assist you with that. They then need to go off and possibly find somebody who's on, you know, a, tea, a housekeeping team maybe I mean we don't know what we do know is that it's not going to be immediate and now you may have a line of guests waiting to use the bathroom and they may begin to gripe about that and they won't um, gripe about the venue they'll gripe about the event and of course your name or your face is on that event and therefore that gripe will be against you <laughs> which and it could be very easily avoided so that's something to check at the very beginning um, and also what's a lovely idea is I don't know if you've ever been to a um, an event where or a venue where they have extra uh, bits and pieces in the bathrooms that just make you feel that bit more special they may have you know hand lotion or you know deodorant spray or fragrance or you know wipes of some sort they may have sanitary products for ladies I mean those things don't often happen but when they do it's noticeable and that's something that you can provide you can have a, a small basket or a little box just things like gum or a um, some mint some wrapped mints anything that would help people to freshen up because that's what they're in the bathroom for a lot of guests will go straight to the bathroom when they first arrive just to freshen themselves up if it's a windy day or a wet day or you know that's where they go and so it's nice to provide those things when you walk into the venue what's the first thing you see is it very unsightly does it need to be covered up does there need to be something in front of it to block out that view walk yourself through as if you were the guest of what could happen what may happen what should happen when you arrive at this venue also consider prior to arriving what you can provide your guests with you can give them information about eateries that may be nearby hotels that may be nearby parking facilities where the actual uh, event is taking place so if the event is in a meeting room on the 19th floor of a high-rise building you can tell them in advance they may not retain the information but they will appreciate being told in advance exactly where to find you.
Step six now is your, your purchasing. The reason I put this in here is quite often there have been issues around deliveries um, and purchasing for, for an event because we haven't always considered the delivery times um, and how far in advance we may need to order something for it to arrive on time. And when I say on time, that's a good week or two before your event so that you can check things, you can package things, you can reorder if what you are expecting doesn't look anything like you thought it would. And with that in mind, quite often now we tend to use places like Amazon, eBay um, and other facilities online. Um, some of these things can be traveling all the way from Asia or, you know, parts of the world that, are, you know, very far away and so can take a long time to deliver. You can save a lot of money from ordering from overseas, but you may end up paying just as much in delivery costs and packaging costs. So do consider that in your purchasing. You may also find that you find things locally in your local stores and they're a great idea. But for larger numbers, would you be able to get enough of that item in that one store? If it's a store that has branches, are you prepared to go to two or three or four, five or six different branches to collect as many as you will need? And what happens if having done all of that, you're still short of a few and you can't get any more? This can often happen when you see items on sale and you think there's a great idea, but another store has already sold out of that item or they maybe not didn't have that item on sale where another store has. Consider all of those things. Definitely jump online. Do your click and collect options because that can save you a lot of mileage. Bear in mind that if you're doing the purchasing, are you purchasing with your own money or cards? Do you need to get permission to purchase each item? Does it have to be cleared by you know, your finance department if you're working in a corporate environment? Do consider all the pitfalls and the perks of purchasing and how long it will take, how much it will cost, what may need to be done once those things arrived. I did an event um, a couple of years back where I, uh, part of the giveaways were little, I think they were sort of two by two by two acrylic boxes, clear see-through acrylic boxes with the branding printed onto the front of the box. And each one was filled with jelly beans. And I thought it was a lovely idea, but it was a low budget charity event. And so guess who had the task of putting all these jelly beans into these boxes? And not just putting the jelly beans into the boxes, I had to assemble the boxes themselves. And they were small and they were fiddly and they were sharp. I had to be very, very careful. And of course, I'm handling food. So I had to use gloves and scoops and, and it, was, it was very fiddly. It was worth it because they looked wonderful, but it was very time consuming. And what I found is I hadn't estimated quite the amount of jelly beans I would need. And therefore, I had to put in another order for a bulk bag of jelly beans. I had to wait for those to be delivered. Thankfully, I'd applied my own rules and I'd ordered it all in advance and I had plenty of time to do it. Um, but that's an example of, of, you know, not always considering when we have our ideas of what we want to do for little things like favours for weddings and giveaways at conferences and events and things, 
bear in mind what will go into making that thing happen. Now, step seven, I want you to consider what will make or break your event. If you are having a keynote speaker at a conference and you've advertised that this will be the keynote speaker, in fact, this person is what is attracting everybody to the event. They're coming purely for that, for that person. And you get a call saying they've been taken ill and they can no longer attend. What will that do for your event? Can you replace that person or do you need to cancel them? Have you used the money from the ticket sales of that event to pay for the event? In which case are you in a position to be able to refund if that person can't make it, that, that, that keynote speaker can't make it? What will make or break your event? On many, many, many occasions and in many situations, there is a way to recover what may have gone wrong, but there may be elements where you just cannot replace one thing with another. You cannot replace one bride for another, one keynote speaker for another, unless your guests really don't mind and you, you can find someone who's maybe just as good on the same subject and replace them. Again, that's, that, that's your decision. But do bear in mind what will make or break. And those are the things that you need to absolutely secure. Cover yourself, cover your company, cover your finances by having contracts in place that say, if the person cancels within a certain time period, then etc., etc., etc. Now, I'm not in any way uh, a lawyer. I, I couldn't tell you what needs to be in that contract. What I do know is there are plenty of places where you can find out this information. There are plenty of samples and templates that are available to you to be able to make those decisions. But you will need to secure the, the, the items, the elements that would cause your event to be cancelled um, or to be, um, you know, damaged, destroyed, whatever it may be, depending on what your event is. Um, cover yourself, get insurance if needed, but do consider from the very beginning what is absolutely essential. If a caterer pulls out, that's not make or break. There are other caterers and there'll be many caterers will be happy to step in at the last minute. They may not be able to produce what the other one could, but as long as there is food to eat, you're okay. You're okay. Guests can also be very forgiving when certain things are out of your control. They can be very forgiving, but it's the vital things that you need to consider. Much like the previous slide, what is your plan B if your plan A doesn't go to plan? A great example that I heard not too long ago was of a um, somebody who ran a youth camp. And I did the session with them and they explained that they use a, an establishment or an organisation that has several camps dotted around the UK. And if for any reason there is maybe heavy rains or something causes the one of their sites to be unusable because of flooding, because of, uh, you know, something's happened to a part of the building. They write into their contracts that within, uh, as long as there is availability, you can use any one of their other sites to hold your event. 
Now, that's great. I think, I mean, assuming there is availability, that's um, some security for the organiser that their event can still go ahead. It may take them longer to get there. It may be a slightly different setup, but at least we don't ha you don't have to cancel because if you imagine for a youth camp that may be happening in school holidays, cancelling that event doesn't just affect the children or the young people or the people that are attending. It affects the parents who have thought, right, I've got that week covered, you know, and they're able to go off to work. Um, so it's, it's good to have these backup plans so that you can still progress. Um, it had another situation where I attended a wedding and the caterers at the wedding had dropped the cake, the bride and groom's cake. And so there was no cake on display. There was no cake to cut. But thankfully, of course, they hadn't anticipated that their cake would get dropped. But what they had done is decided in advance, rather than the caterers or family members having to frankly, frantically cut up the cake once it had been cut as part of the day and uh, cutting it up ready for guests to take away with them. They had used um, an additional layer. They had had their supplier bake an additional layer to their cake, which could be cut in advance and placed in beautifully presented cake boxes for guests to take away. So although there wasn't a cake to visually look at and there wasn't a cake to cut, there was cake to take away. Step eight, I absolutely wanted to include this in this um, online course because how you present yourself, and of course this depends on, again, your role as the organizer of any event. You may be hired in to organize the event or you may be part of the wedding. You may be a cousin or a friend or an aunt or an uncle or a nephew of, you know, of a wedding that's taking place, in which case, of course, you will dress accordingly. But I've often seen particular types of suppliers. I'll just be honest with you. Photographers, musicians, videographers who come to very special occasions dressed in jeans and converses and maybe a baggy t-shirt and they're intermingling with guests not because they're having a drink and something to eat but they are surrounded by guests because of the job that they have to do and I, I've often felt could they not have made just a bit more of an effort now of course I do understand that they need to be comfortable they probably need to have lots of pockets or thin things but I do feel it's important to present yourself in the best way possible. Now, of course, you're not going to arrive in a suit if you are doing a youth camp. It's not appropriate. You'd probably want to wear a tracksuit or something very, very casual. I guess my point is, depending on what the event is, dress accordingly. There are ways, as you can see in this image, that you've got two very, very smart people and then you've got two who are more casually dressed, but they're very well dressed. Casual doesn't mean scruffy. It just means appropriate to the dress code. Always find out what the dress code will be. I mean, if it's a wedding, of course, you know it's going to be smart. Unless, of course, you're having a particular themed wedding or you're having a wedding where the people have been instructed that it's going to be very casual, 
very easygoing. We don't want suits. We don't want, you know, cocktail dresses or day dresses. Then, of course, you go with that flow. But it's important that you try to fit in as much as possible and don't don't. I'm trying to put this nicely. Don't make the person who's hired you have to regret that they did. Step nine, your toolkit. I'm a huge fan of toolkits. You'll hear me talk about them in my other courses. I'm a great fan because I like to be prepared. There are many things in my toolkit that I could probably get from a venue, but I would have to ask and I would have to wait and I would have to um, accept what it is that they're giving me. And so I tend to bring my own. Now, I'm not asking you to have a whole trunk full or even a big, you know, builder's plastic toolkit like the one in the picture. These can be presented very beautifully. You can have it as a backpack. You could have it in a lovely bag. You could it could be very, very discreet. But the sort of things that you want to have in your toolkit, and I won't bore you with a list as long as your arm, but I'll give you a few ideas of what you should have in a toolkit to make you run more efficiently. Pens, pencils, just a few. I'm not expecting you to have a box of 100 pens, but just a few spare pens. Some pencils, possibly an eraser. Uh, blue tack, sticky tape, post-it notes. I even carry some index cards. And I'm glad I do because we had a, um, an event uh, probably a couple of years ago now where we invited in a guest speaker and he... I have to admit he wasn't particularly prepared. And so he decided he would run his session as a Q&A session. He would simply answer questions. But the, the, the topic uh, and the nature of the event was pretty sensitive. And so people weren't willing to put their hands up and ask questions. And so I very quickly went to my toolkit and pulled out some pens and note cards. And I said, if you're more comfortable write down your question and we'll collect them up for you and then they could be read from the front anonymously. It worked wonders. Suddenly there just wasn't enough, you know, enough question. There wasn't enough um, cards for questions to be written on, you know, and that taught me a lesson. Always carry some form of index card or, or, or notes or something like that for those situations. I tend to carry safety pins. I've had a lady um, approach me where she had worn something that I think maybe she'd worn quite um, a, a, a while back. And this time round, the front of this uh, shirt or blouse was gaping. And um, she felt quite uncomfortable about that. And she was asking if I had a safety pin so that she could pin it together. And I didn't. So now I do. <laughs> I carry safety pins in my toolkit. And what you'll find will happen is that your toolkit will build over time. If this is something that you do on a regular basis, if you are an event planner or you work for a company that does events or it's something you find yourself doing fairly regularly, you may be a freelancer that does your own talks or seminars um, and you do these on a regular basis. Do build up a toolkit because you'll find that you've got everything you need to hand and you're not waiting around. I try to have a few emergency items in my toolkit also, and that includes sanitary items for the ladies and also um, maybe a few plasters or, or you know, a small bandage. Um, most venues are most venues have and all venues are 
required to have toolkits, sorry, not toolkits, first aid kits available, forgive me, first aid kits available, but we don't always know where to find them straight away. They should be obvious and they should be visible, but they're not always. Sometimes it's something very small, like a paper cut. Sometimes it could be just, um, you know, I had one occasion where I worked for a hotel, like a conference department of a hotel many, many years ago. And there was a party. And as it got later and more people were drinking and glasses were being dropped, there was some broken glass. A lady had taken off her shoes um, and was dancing and stepped on a piece of glass. And I had to stop the bleeding and bandage that up for her until she could get um, help from a paramedic. And thankfully, I had that to hand. And so it's these situations, these occasions, these experiences that have helped me to build my toolkit. Step 10. Have a checklist. A checklist. If you do, if you do events often, it will be so much easier for you if you create a checklist of what needs to be done so that you can just check off each thing as you go along. No matter how long or how often you do events, you'll find that you will always have that thing in the back of your mind that says, have I thought of this? Have I thought of that? And a checklist will help to alleviate that from your mind. It's one less thing happening in your brain because you've checked it off, it's been done. Build your checklist according to how you like to work in the order that you like to work. I have another course called Planning for a Professional Presentation, Preparing Your Space, and I, in there is a checklist. And it's, it's a bit different because it's a bit more corporate, but it's an order of what needs to be done and in which order, according to you, setting up your event. And you may find that helpful. But I would say create a checklist. Also, what I would do is I have a checklist for the things that I'm bringing with me that I personally own. So if I'm doing an event myself, if I'm the speaker and I'm running the event myself, I have a list of things that I bring with me, um, which include my own clicker, of course, my own laptop, you know, and certain other things. I may have a USB stick that I bring because I always save my my presentations onto a USB stick in case for any reason my laptop gets stolen on the way or it doesn't work or I drop it or it's not compatible I do always have my USB stick with me and so those things that you tend to bring along with you um, I make a list of what they are and when I'm ready to leave the venue at the end of the event I will check my list to make sure I have all my things with me because if I've traveled far and wide to do this event I really don't want to have to travel back there because I forgot something um, and some of those things are quite easily replaceable but to save time and money, I just have my checklist and I know what it is that I need to return home with. Step 11, your setup and your pack down. Quite often we hire venues and we hire it from nine to five and our event is from nine to five. When will you set up and when will you pack down? I had a horrible experience. Um, I was invited to speak at a conference. Um, it was an interactive conference with some young girls and we were having a great time. Um, but what I found when I arrived is that the organizer was frantically running around trying to set up. And she explained to me later that she hadn't booked 
extra time at the beginning to set up and so the venue refused to allow her into the space to set up until the time had arrived that she had hired the space from. Same thing happened at the end of the event. I, we finished on time, but I was interacting and talking with these young ladies who had questions. You know, they wanted to ask questions about what had just been um, taught. And whilst we were talking, there were members of the facilities team of that venue packing down around us, you know, moving personal items onto the floor so they could take the tables away. It wasn't a nice experience at all. And that's why I've put this as step 11 is always allow for setup time and pack down time. I would recommend two hours setup time. Always arrive at your event two hours before the start time. Of course, this needs to be adjusted depending on the size of your event and how much needs to be done. Try and do as much as you can at home or in your office or away from the venue so that you can arrive and just place things where they need to go. It's unavoidable if you're arranging centerpieces that have, you know, real flowers or anything like that and you're doing it yourself. You can't travel. I've tried it. <laughs> you can't travel with water filled vases um, in the footwell of your car. <laughs> I have tried to do it. They do tend to fall. They create a mess. Um, and I just have to repeat the process when I get there, which is frustrating. But for those things that you can do in advance, do do them in advance. Arrive two hours early, as I've said. If you are super early and everything is done, fantastic. Have a coffee, relax, get yourself together, ready for your guests to arrive. But better that than you're flustered, you're rushing, there's been traffic, there's been an accident, the train was cancelled, and now you're late and your guests are arriving. The same with pack down. You, don't, you may not need quite, quite so long, but in packing down, resist the urge to just swipe everything into a bag and leave. Do be methodical about your packing down. You can learn a lot from what's left behind by your guests. If you provide packs for guests and they have doodled all over them and you can see where they may have been writing notes to the person next to them, it can tell you a lot about your presentation. Were they bored? Were they uninterested? Were they forced to be there against their will or their will? And when I say that, I mean sometimes as a, you know, a HR exercise, you have to attend a health and safety training um, exercise for a day or for an afternoon. You may not want to be there. And if maybe maybe you expect that. And, you know, you're all right with everybody writing these notes, but you can always improve. You can always improve. You can always make an, an, a session more engaging or more interesting. And so there's a lot to learn from what your delegates leave behind. Um, and in your pat down, do honor the venue that you're using. Follow their instructions of what needs to be done. Um, if you're using a community center, for example, they may require you to pack everything, the chairs, the tables. They may even ask you to sweep or hoover the, the space. That's part of the agreement that that's what needs to be done. If you're holding an event at a higher end venue, you'll find that you could probably pick your bag up and leave. But in any situation, do make use of what's left behind because it can tell you a lot about your event and about your teaching and about your guests. This is what happens when you're not ready for your guests. I want you to imagine that you're having a, a you're hosting a dinner party at home. You've invited maybe 
four or five of your closest friends or your family and you've told them to arrive at seven o'clock and they arrive at seven o'clock or seven o five and you answer the door like this. What impression do your friends or your guests have in that instant when they see you standing in your dressing gown or your robe? Even though they're not early, what does that tell them? They're not prepared. If they are, you're not prepared rather. If they are particularly hungry and they see this, I would instantly think, oh, that means the food's probably not ready either. Um, you know, and it, it does it does create a sense of feeling within me. It's the same for your guests. When you arrange an event and the guests are arriving and you are not ready, your room isn't ready, your presentation isn't ready, you're not ready to greet them. If they're super early, which, you know, technically is not a good idea, it, it's actually quite rude to be too early. But if they are early, feel free to ask them to wait in, in a... In, in the lobby area or somewhere where they can be seated. Um, but the worst thing is to allow them to come into the space that you're setting up for the event and watch you as you frantically try to get everything ready on time. That's not a great idea. That that will stay with them. And so it's good to ask them to wait elsewhere. Um, and you're within your rights to do that because they have arrived very, very early. But I would suggest that you are up and running and ready to go a good 30 minutes before your guests are due to arrive. If you want to play some soothing music in the background or if you want to engage with your guests as they arrive, that's absolutely fine. But just be ready for them. And our final step, step 12, is do a debrief. You'll see that I'm not going to go into the details of the actual running of the event because there are so many different types of events. It would just take me too long to go through the intricate details of how to set up for a wedding compared to how to set up for a seminar or set up for a conference or set up for a camp or set up for a quiz night. They're all very, very different. And that would be a whole other uh, course. But having had your event, do a debrief. A debrief should be, clue is in the name, brief. It shouldn't be an hour or two hours long. If you do your debrief immediately following the event, your team are tired. You are tired. And there's a temptation then to just not say anything, not get any feedback, not give any feedback because you just want to get out. In an ideal situation, you would have a team of people or, um, you know, some some volunteers that can help you to pack down whilst you have a quick debrief with your team. But I would recommend that you do it as soon as possible following the event, because that's when your ideas and your experiences are fresh in your mind. There is so much to learn from a debrief. But please don't use a debrief to reprimand or highlight all the things that went wrong and all the things that didn't happen that you had specifically requested. Of course, those things do need to be discussed, but not only those things. A debrief should be a good space to congratulate your team for an event well done. To congratulate individuals, but don't pick out one or two and leave the others. Try to find something good about each of them, if possible, because you want to empower them. 
Good leadership is influence. And to influence your team, they should want to be or want to do what you do. And so inspire them, encourage them to be better by encouraging them of what they have done well. So they want to do even better next time. Use your debrief to get information on particularly the areas that you haven't been privy to. So, for example, the reception area. You may have not been part of the reception or the greeting panel or whatever it may be. You may not be a part of the people who were selling merchandise or people who were serving the teas and coffees or whatever it may be. If you weren't there, get some feedback from the person that was overseeing that part of the session. Um, gather the information, collate it all, because if you have been hired by a client or an employer to run this event, you need to know exactly what's happened, you know, all of the feedback so that you can feedback to them. And so collate that from your team, but keep it simple, keep it brief. It doesn't have to be like they're seated around a table with a laptop out. If you have a good enough memory, you can literally gather in a huddle in a corner of a room and do a quick debrief in 10 minutes and it's done. It doesn't need to be longer than that. If there is cause to speak with a particular person or two individuals, about something that may have taken place or something that may have gone wrong or you know they've got a great idea they want to share, release the rest of the team and speak with that person one-on-one -on -one, or arrange to meet with them the next day. But don't keep your team too long because it will put them off wanting to work with you in the future. Do make the time to follow up. Follow up with your venue, follow up with your team, follow up with your client, follow up with your employer, whoever it is that you're doing the event for, follow up with them. It's always good to feedback, not too much information because you don't want to bore them with the detail of something that maybe didn't go so well or how it could have been better. Make note of it yourself by all means and learn from it. But do take the time to follow up with a thank you. We appreciate all that you've done. Looking forward to working with you again. Send flowers if you have to, whatever's appropriate according to the event that you have done and the relationship you have with the person that's hired you. But do make the time. Some people will finish their event and just leave it. It will blow off into the desert. But do close your event with a follow-up. Ideally, a written follow-up, i.e. an email. Um, if you want to follow up the email with a quick phone call a day later, that's absolutely fine. Again, it depends on the relationship you have with the person that you're doing the event for. Um, it may be that you took some photographs, for example, if somebody was doing a book launch or a launch of some merchandise and you took some snaps on your phone that came out very well, by all means, forward them to them. You know, if it's appropriate, if you have that kind of relationship with them, then by all means do that. If they have a photographer there, then maybe you don't need to do that. You gauge it for yourself, but do follow up. And so there you have it. How easy was that? I know I make it sound easy and I apologize if I'm simplifying it too much, but I do want you to be able to feel confident in planning any type of event in these 12 easy steps. And of course you can even use this as a model for your schedule or a model for your checklist, um, an order of how to do things. As I said, I do have other courses that will go into more detail on specific areas, but this should give you an outline of how to 
plan your events in these 12 easy steps. I wish you all the luck with your events and look forward to maybe um, sharing other tips around event planning with you in the future.